Jeremy Brown spent 20 years serving our country in special operations for the U.S. Army, where he specialized in unconventional warfare, which is probably one of the reasons why the FBI came to his home and tried to recruit him to be a part of their January 6th false flag against peaceful American protesters. After going public with video evidence of the FBI visit, Jeremy Brown was arrested on trumped-up charges and sentenced to seven years in federal prison. I recently interviewed Jeremy about his new podcast, Fusion Cell. Here are the highlights. Everybody knows something's going on. Uh, there's just some of us who have a much better knowledge of what's going on than others. But, you know, uh, the, the reality is that uh, America has been, is, a, is an occupied country. Our savior is not going to be somebody who's popular, who's rich, who is successful in the ways of the world right now, whether it's Elon Musk or whether it's Donald Trump. A politician is not going to save us. We need to start realizing that we are the answer to these problems. In essence, America has become a nation of cowards who will only tell you what they believe if they can get three forms of verification that you agree with them. And this is not the country that our founders uh, established, and it certainly isn't the way they established it. And until we start to stand up for our own beliefs and principles and not rely on these manufactured heroes, these superheroes that are given to us by the media, well, then we're never going to fix the problem. Tyranny is not coming. It is already here. AI is just simply another weapon in the toolbox of those who seek to control the world. And that's all it is. I mean, the, the reality is that they want way fewer of us, but they know that they like all the things that we contribute to the world, and so they have to have some type of replacement, and AI is one of those replacements. And they've told us that this is what they want through the dystopic pre-programming of Minority Report. In the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. In the time of censorship, non-compliance is key. From an undisclosed location in FEMA Region 10, it's your host, Joshua Michael. Welcome, folks. Ladies and gentlemen, it is, uh, what is today's today? 23rd. Well, it's not going to be the 23rd when you hear this. Uh, this oh, is uh, June 23rd. <laughs> We're precasting uh, and preloading. Um, on our show, welcome. There's a lot of information always going around. And as we mentioned last week, we were talking about some of the Vault 7 stuff, the upcoming cybersecurity nonsense that the media is hyping up in every element. We kind of wanted to do a deep dive today and talk about what cybersecurity is, what the state of the world is, what uh, is really going on uh, around the world uh, between all these countries. Just a lot of kind of sifting out of the information that we see. There's a lot of fear tactics going on. There's aliens landing in Las Vegas now, uh, and that just seems to be a norm that everybody's accepting. 
as well as just the upcoming cyber threat that you know we've been warning about. Warning about Steve Quayle's talking about it. Uh, a lot of people are mentioning uh, things going on. They're trying to pre-program the population to accept it to go along with the green energy uh, power grid scenarios that they're going to be trying to disrupt. And we're seeing that in different elements and all the elements of uh, deindustrializing the country and getting us into uh, a position to where we will not be able to do anything but be at the mercy of these global conglomerates. Um, but we have uh, Don Powers in the house as always. How are you doing, Don? I am doing great. And I tell you, I am so excited for our guest today. Yeah, we do have a guest and you helped put this together. Um, this is, uh, could you do an introduction to her? I will. And her background? But one, of, one of my favorite uh, people in the cyber security world, the uh, elections world, a, a, a very well-known person in that personality and that, a great mind and, and most importantly, one of, the, one of the best people that you can know. My good friend Draza Smith is with us today and she's going to talk about a bunch of things. We're going to go back on what you were talking. We're going to go back in history just a little bit and talk about things called the shadow brokers and... The, how that relates to the National Security Agency and some of these um, ransomware attacks that went on these stuff years ago and how that has all been evolving into some of the stuff we're seeing today. So Draza, so glad you could make the time to meet with us t today. What an intro. Thank you so much. And I am honored to be on your show. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So yeah, let's go through a little bit of your background. Tell us a little bit about who you are, uh, what you do and what you can disclose as far as kind of giving uh, a backstory about yourself. <laughs> backstory about myself. So um, I am a, I'm an electrical engineer by trade. I've worked in the power industry and um, worked on um, <clears throat> generation and controls. And um, I uh, am, I guess, I guess uh, <laughs> used all of that, that, uh, engineering information that I had to uh, start looking at election data. And I think that that's what, um, if anybody does know me, that's what they know me for, <laughs> that um, I'm looking at looking at the election data and showing analytical similarities between different areas that should not have been there. And we still don't have good answers or admitted answers as to why these, why these were happening. Right. Right. Yeah. So, and a lot of that with the election uh, stuff kind of going back. Is it specific to 2020 or have you guys looked back prior to 2020? Uh, how much data did you look at or have you looked at or do you continue to look at? Um, so the, the, there's some very, very interesting things that we've been able to see with the data that was um, collected from the 2020 election, uh, the, 20, uh, the 2022 elections as well. Um, so the um, the data from prior elections was very difficult to get a hold of because it's allowed to be destroyed, and a lot of the data we we, we walk a, a fine line. I'm I'm not a huge fan of the current uh, commercial off the shelf technology that's used for the um, election systems. Um, I think that they have a have their their own. Variety of problems, but um, they do collect an awful lot of data that can be analyzed in a digital format that that was not available to go back to um, elections prior to 
to those being in place. So it's very difficult to have the same kind of data at a detailed level to compare with prior to having the machines, after having the machines, and see what, what actually changed in the voting um, minutia of the different, of the different uh, populations. Uh, absolutely. But now, I guess, since 2020, we'll have a good track record because everybody's compiling this data. They'll have the ability to kind of reference back from 2020 of what progresses into 24 and 26. God willing, we can even make it to 28. Um, you know, uh, with the with the state of the world and everything going on, uh, it's it's some really volatile times. And the reason we wanted to have you on is to kind of dive into some of this stuff. Yes, I want to talk about the election stuff. I want to talk more about your experience and your background and your kind of dissecting into these technological things that are going on um, that we're seeing and you having your power industry background. You know, did you guys did you do any specific work? you know, in the power grid scenario, uh, in the electrical engineering, when you talk about that, um, you know, could you give us some insight as, as far as we always hear about the vulnerability of the power grid, right? The power grid so vulnerable. It's so vulnerable in the United States. At any moment, the power grid's going to go out. This is all the, the, the fear tactics that we're hearing all the time. Is there any validity to that? Do you have a background in that or is it more in other specialized elements that, uh, I, I I do. I do have a background in that. Um, it's it's something I believe personally um, that you can't have anybody working in the power industry and a lot of other industries anymore that you that if you're working in that controls or um, electronics kind of environment, you have to become uh, more of an expert in cybersecurity as well. Anytime anything now has communication and it's inner and it's interlinked with each other, you have to design in the um, the cybersecurity aspects as just another safety system. Absolutely. You don't want to put you don't want to put a system online without fire protection. You don't want to put a system online without cyber protection. It's just become that much ingrained in our technologies in general. It's just putting a gasket on a hose. It's just something that you do. It's something you have to learn. Have to yep. We understand mm-hmm. that. Okay. So in that you obviously got to get into, you know, cybersecurity. Is that your forte? Is that your specialty? Uh, or is it more just analytics or it's just kind of, you know, uh, I, I, I would, I would consider myself, I would consider myself, uh, all, kind of all of the above, maybe not as good in all aspects as some individuals may be in their own, but more, more of a, a, a global systems, um, uh, evaluator and, awesome. and yeah. So when I, when I, when I've looked at the um, the power system from a cyber perspective. I always do try to have a good enough understanding of the systems in general that I can play a devil's advocate and say, well, what if this happened? What if this happened? What if this happened? And try to use that to build systems that are more resilient. There's been a big push to, to improve the, the security and the resiliency of, of the grid. And I think that there's an awful lot of fantastic minds in the United States working on that working on that problem but we have the problem the other problem is that the grid itself lends itself to being um, insecure in the fact that we build things like bridges and electrical infrastructures that are very expensive that take some of you know some of the taxpayers money from all of us and we put it together and we build it to last right 
And, you know, how often do you get patches on your PC? Well, you know, some of this equipment that we put in place wasn't designed to, uh, you know, be, be upgraded or modified or, or, or anything when they didn't envision what's going on now 20 years ago when the equipment was actually installed. So we, we want everything to be very, very um, <clears throat> long-lived. But at the same time, when you have equipment that does have any kind of electronics or intelligence, the longer lived it is, the more mm, cyber flaws can be discovered. So it's a it's, it's a very interesting catch-22 in an environment like that. You know, it makes me think of um, Eternal Blue, right? When we think about Eternal Blue, that whole uh, system and everything that came from that. So what is inter Eternal Blue for the people that don't know? Uh, in the audience, stuff. could you explain that? Yeah, I was gonna let I was gonna lead that into oh. to draws okay. and let, let let her go on it. But basically, it was a, bu a bunch of critical vulnerabilities within Microsoft. And the interesting thing was, it came out, uh, and once they knew that there was this vulnerability, it didn't matter because within just a couple of months, it had been exploited by uh, what is believed to be the NSA. And then the NSA was hacked. Uh, the tools that the NSA was using to hack governments all over the world, because uh, and systems all over the world, is that. Uh, the gist of it, Draza? You know, I, I would really hope, <laughs> I would really hope that that wasn't really the story. Um, so uh, I, the way that I would like to tell the story, and maybe I'm, I'm too Pollyanna-ish, but um, <clears throat> I, Eternal Blue was, was a tool that was released by the Shadow Brokers, and um, uh, they, they uh, claim to have garnered, uh, had obtained quite a few tools from the NSA from a particular from a particular division in particular and they um, they put it up for auction that they were going to auction them off and uh, people were very curious about what they had if it was real but they didn't really bid on these tools to get from them and so they and so the shadow brokers just said fine, we're just going to release it to everybody. Then if nobody's going to buy it, we don't, we don't want to hold it to ourselves. So they just released all this, all and, this stuff. And what were the tools? Uh, there was a, a um, I think on the order of 60 different tools that had, that, that were released for different activities um, for um, exploiting all different kinds of systems. Okay. Uh, the Eternal Blue one is the one that... Um, all right, has stay with us, Draza. We're going to a hard break here. Uh, just one second. You're listening to Non-Compliant America. Joshua Michael will be right back. Broadcasting from the former state of Oregon in FEMA Region 10, it's your host, Joshua Michael. All right, welcome back, folks. We are second segment in talking to Draza, Draza Smith. Uh, um, and uh, we're going into kind of the some of the back-end backstory uh, with what happened with Microsoft and... Um, some type of hack that they had or something like that. Could we uh, pick back up on that? So we, we've had, we've had a lot of, um, a lot of interest by um, 
nefarious actors that, uh, that look for these vulnerabilities in what we call the industrial control system realm. And a lot of these uh, ransomwares, a lot of the uh, tools that have been released have been utilized to develop systems that can now attack some of our um, industrial systems that are now controlled by computers, PLCs, et cetera. Um, Eternal Blue caused issues with, um, I, I, I could be mistaken here, but I think that that was still the, um, the, the underpinning for the ransomware that hit the Colonial Pipeline. And the, um, the it, not related to Eternal Blue, but uh, a step seven vulnerability that was uh, in the Stuxnet. Um, the Stuxnet was terrible because that came out and it affected power plants it just it just went crazy uh it showed us how interconnected all the power plants were and uh many 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 engineers spent many many hours <laughs> not sleeping and fixing their systems making sure that everything was patched with uh, with that after it was uh discovered um destroying some of the uh, uh centrifuges in iran okay uh so that's yeah so a lot of the industrial development is, is is it all tied in with you know a lot of the manufacturing uh is it down to a manufacturing level you know we know a lot of the chipsets things are coming from overseas in different countries uh since covid a lot of the parallel uh construction has been moved and shifted uh from the traditional path just because of some of the shutdowns and different things like that uh, so we're finding a lot of different chipsets and issues with some electronics that have endured over the past couple of years because they've moved and shifted things so much. Um, is I, I, I mean, just as far as the vulnerability goes of people in the power grid and the infrastructure, you know, I know we're talking about the voting systems too. Um, I mean, where 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 do we go with you know what's what what's the message you know that we as should know as far as um you know what is this how does this affect people's lives how does it affect the daily lives of people well everyone everyone should really be aware of you know where their where their chips come from and everything because there is a problem with not having um a domestic source for a lot of the contr the, the controller chips and bonus um features and bonus chips that do communications that that the user is not aware of machines um, like the ones used in our election systems might be sure. possibly <laughs> well, be an yeah, example okay so yeah our election <laughs> system is 100 percent rigged it's 100 percent dysfunctional what do we need to do propose bills to get rid of all voting systems all election systems is that kind of the premise of technology in these voting systems is anything is hackable well, uh, everything's is, got modems in it it is but i tell you what after i've looked at the looked at the election systems in the whole i think that we should go back to it being more community based anyway i think that we should take the money that's spent on machines and give it to the local precincts preach it sister buy dinner for everybody in that community from a local restaurant instead of paying for machines to count the votes and have everybody come and vote visit with their neighbors talk about who they're electing and count the votes for their precinct and send it on up voter ID at the precinct level the money and I think we should have a national holiday of election day yeah right? 
uh, and we should make it a federal holiday. If they want to make Juneteenth a holiday, I think they should make a national election holiday as well. Um, and, uh, and that would, I think, clean up a lot. I agree. Uh, but kind of in a, in a, in a, in a bigger view, what, what kind of things have you been working on? What kind of things have you been seeing as far as the progression, you know, of cyber threats? Do you think, uh, we're at a plateau? Do you think it's going to continue? Uh, I personally believe that they're increasing the cyber threats and increasing the vulnerabilities on purpose, uh, an overall census of the uh, bigger corporations that run things and things like that. They want to create these vulnerabilities. They want to create these hacks. They want to create that because I think we're ultimately leading to a goal of the global ID system, the real ID. We see it. All of, all of the states in the country have to have real ID by 2025, you know, and it runs right in tandem with the CBDC integration uh, and kind of that constructing, they're creating a broken system so then they can become the saviors and these new systems can become the saviors. And in other words, give us your blood, give us your face scan, give us your, uh, you know, your voice print, you know, Photoshop's got something called voice print. They're able to replicate that. We've seen that with a lot of the AI replications of, you know, Drake doing a song. Somebody made a song, sounded like Drake produced it um out there so with all that technology do you think that there is an end goal to you know move everybody into that system i mean what's your what's your what's your thoughts on that i think i think you're talking about two very distinctive groups of people that may have some synergy but i don't even think it's in, in, intentional uh from what i see from a cyber perspective i see there's a lot of money to be made there so we see, we see people that are now developing developing toolkits for industrial control system that are are just like uh like a swiss army knife where you can just use this piece and this piece and, and hack into a system which lowers the level of technical uh, expertise of the attacker if you've got a toolkit available for industrial control system, like what we saw on a network level when Metasploit came out as a, a toolkit for penetration testers, but then was exploited by people that use it as a, a script kitty hacking box. So there's an awful lot of money to be made for there by hacking into systems, by terrorizing, uh, you know, the, 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 the companies and everything. And then you've got another group that may, may be looking for those uh, political machinations that just, just see it as an opportunity to uh, show why there's more governmental control needed. But I, I, don't think, I don't think that the motivations of the two groups are necessarily the same. That's a good point. We'll be right back talking to Drowser from DRBAC. It's your host, Joshua Michael. All right, welcome back, folks. Third segment. So we're just, we're trying to express to you and and get down to the, the, the meat and the bones of some very complicated stuff, you know, embedded with technology and cybersecurity and all this stuff that most people don't understand, right? Most people don't understand you know even what an ip address is nobody knows what an ip address is most people don't everybody thinks that the internet is wi-fi right wi-fi is not the internet 
it's a communication system, you know, between one device to another. It's wireless, right? So uh, what we're trying to do is just explain to people kind of the vulnerabilities going on uh, with the, our power grid and the industrial system and the whole combine that's behind it. That's a whole enterprise level of uh, cybersecurity people and cyber threat and hackers. And, and there's just a whole group of people that are literally spending days and days and days on end uh, developing systems. And now we're, we got a special guest here, Draza uh, Smith from Florida, who uh, is an electrical engineer. She's very familiar with cybersecurity, things like that, uh, talking about how they are now developing systems that basically it's like a program like Photoshop that you buy and you're able to buy and these hackers that maybe are less experienced hackers, they're able to buy these things and it's like a Swiss army knife because they're able to uh, get into systems and industrial systems uh, very easily versus before it used to be maybe a little harder, but now they've basically are, they're developing these programs and these toolkits and things like that. Is that, is that kind of along the lines of where you were getting at? It is, it is, except that you can buy them for free. There you it's go. Even it's even that. worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and so what kind of things uh, have you seen or experienced that are associated with this particular tool or tools like it? Uh, what kind of things have you seen out in the field, uh, you know, dealing with these cyber threats? <clears throat> so the, 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 the big thing about, about um, some of these kits is the, the very first, the very, the, or the most popular one, I guess, is called Metasploit. I mentioned it before, but maybe people aren't familiar with that. What that is, is it's a library of basically the hacks that uh, people find. People package those up and put them into this Metasploit so that people that want to test their systems to make sure that they have been patched appropriately against this particular hack or this particular hack have a way to do that without having to, without knowing how to craft that particular thing themselves. They just pull it out of the library and attack their own system with it. But you can see how this would now be able to be twisted into somebody saying, oh, now I'm going to go see if Josh has patched his machine with this one. Oh, he hasn't. Look, I've got a canned hack that I can go and, you know, see what I can see on his machine. And, and, now, and now they've got something called Pipe Dream that is a similar sort of thing, again, for free, if you can find it, that is for industrial control systems. <clears throat> so the, um, the thing that makes, the thing that, the, the thing that also makes me um, uh, a little bit crazy is I see I see all these uh, these reports that come out from the government agencies and they're they're very they actually are very good they they tell everybody that if you've got this kind of equipment or this kind of equipment then you need to go and hat and and patch them like the CISA reports and whatnot but um, the the funny part that I think is that it, they always do attributions. Where did this come from? And it's always an attribution to China or Russia or something like that. Yeah, and, never uh, the NSA. No, couldn't be them. <laughs> but, you know, I think we have some brilliant minds here in the United States, and I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be surprised if it's three guys in Texas that come up with something that's really brilliant, but they, you know, don't have put you, that have, on. Have you heard of the equation group? Uh, that was that was the, uh, the, the, the group that was attacked or... That was infiltrated uh, supposedly by the by the shadow brokers, where all those came right, out. Right, exactly. The and NSA, they classified uh, things as as APTs, advanced persistent threats. 
Yeah. So that's what they considered a lot of these tools or these advanced persistent threats. Yeah, persistence, persistence is a big thing in cybersecurity because what persistence means is that if you get something on a machine, then then the person that has it is kind of stuck unless they can actually figure out how to remove it. I mean, like that they really know what it is and how to remove it. If you reboot the machine, it boots up on its own. It integrates itself into another file so that when you launch the file that you want to launch, you're actually launching the bad guy's file at the same time. They don't need to, you know, so, so just, a lot of, a lot of these things are, yeah. And I was just wondering, and not that I would, would know much about it, but I just keep thinking about our election system and how something that like that might create <laughs> havoc on the system. But anyway, I, you know, what, what do I know? <laughs> the, um, what, one of the, one of the interesting things about all of this stuff is, is how, uh, it's important for, I think for a lot of people to understand how this affects everyday life. And I know that you and I spoke before about, you know, some of the, some of the specific threats that, that, uh, affected your life. We don't have to get into those, you know, and, and rehash those, but, but how, for example, from your position, uh, have you, has your life been affected by some of these threats that were out there? I'm sure you've had to defend against them. We, we've, we've, I've had to do some, um, repair work, uh, for some things and, and develop some, uh, new, new protections for systems. Um, the, um, I, I, and, and, and a lot of it stems sometimes from people not having awareness that if, if someone takes and plugs their iPhone to charge inside of uh, an industrial control system computer that's being used to run something, even though, or, or an election system or a, a government database like like the driver's license or tax records or anything else if you plug your phone in to charge it thinking that nothing you know nothing's there your phone now has that that uh, uh, cellular connection which is an independent parallel connection to the internet which now opens up that system to to whatever is already on your phone and bypasses all the security that people put in place on those systems. So you can really, you can really do some bad things if people don't have full awareness of what their own actions are doing. I think that, I think I read that the colonial pipeline, uh, shutdown that was so traumatic to people on the, on the East coast, um, originated by uh, accessing an employee's password, not necessarily by by brute force hacking. And then that led to the ransomware spreading through the entire system. Yeah, I was watching a presentation on um, uh, one of the uh, organizations, I would say, you know, in Eastern Europe, uh, one of these enterprise organization hacker groups, how they worked on a guy at a nuclear facility in Iran for about four months. And the way that they got to him was through um, one of the main engineers. They contacted him as a fake profile on Facebook and befriended him and were talking and having conversations with him for four months until um, the gal that was proposing as a, a photography hobby lady um, they were able to send him a file that he wanted, she wanted him to review and he opened it up on his work computer and then boom, they got in. So it, it, it's so transparent as far as how, how many different 
doorways we have in our life. Um, yeah, that to, is called social engineering, and that is an entire discipline of cybersecurity that sometimes a human is the weakest link. I had a friend that went and did penetration testing at a police uh, uh, office to check and make sure that their systems were secure, and he just walked around with his visitor badge and told people he was the IT guy there and asked people for their passwords, and the people that were working in the police <laughs> office just gave him, and he's like, well, we have a problem with the security. <laughs> it has nothing to do with your electronic. Well, as well as how often you change your password, right? That's, a that's I think, a good fundamental thing that everybody could do is changing their passwords, uh, not making the same password for everything, I know it gets complicated, but also one thing that I, I see, cause I'm in minor IT, I don't do anything what you do. Um, but, uh, everybody writes their password down on a piece of paper right next to their computer and it's right in their desk. Um, and every password for every account and everything that they own, their entire Bible for their construct or internet existence is on a piece of paper right next to their computer. Yeah. You know, uh, Josh, you were talking about uh, the person can be the weakest link is what we're kind of talking about here. And I always, uh, with my software companies, I said, there's, there's three types of problems that we run into. There's software problems, there's hardware problems, and then there's fleshware problems. <laughs> <laughs> and more often it was the fleshware. <laughs> And not intentionally, not intentionally. No, by no means, right? I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean you know, the person, the person who, who, as you're giving the example about plugging a phone in, that person had no intention of causing any harm. They just innocently charged my phone. They don't know that some uh, bad actor has already, you know, um, sabotaged their phone and compromised their phone. Thank you. Um, pretty, and, much, pretty much assume that, that anything you have that's electronic, somebody else has access to it. I mean, just that's just a safe way to live your life these days. And that's an example of why these types of conversations are important, to get people thinking and understanding that they just wouldn't know. They, they just take all this for granted and, and learning, even, even again, back into whether you work for a corporation or, or you're an elections clerk or whatnot, to understand these things and know that these are ways so that you can protect your system. Just some of these even more innocent, simple ways without have, you know, necessarily talking about, you know, things being passed over on on thumb drives or any of that stuff just the simple common everyday mo things that you do could be uh compromised and, and a lot of the a lot of the engineers a lot of the designers that that want to really provide good products for people um they're they're having to develop systems that have enough self-awareness of the way that they should be normally operating that rather than going from the philosophy of keeping keeping hackers out to build systems that have enough self-awareness of what they should be looking what the what the systems themselves should be looking like that I don't care that you're there just don't mess with anything or right. else I'll recognize that you're there because sometimes you just can't do enough yep. to keep people from getting out of the system getting into the system. we got to make it all of this money yeah, I know it's rude to be bragging. They never catching a slack. Me and my buddy, we working hard for this money. All right, welcome back, folks. Last segment here with Don Powers and Draza Smith, uh, technology expert, cybersecurity expert. We're talking about all different types of things. Um, so, Draza, before we cut you off, apologize for the hard break. Um, you know, there's just. There's just a lot of information to unpack. We, in this last segment here, 
what would you like to uh, sum up for everybody uh, listening here today? What kind of things need to be said? You know, do you have a message to the world, a beacon to the world? What would you say uh, to them in regards to your expertise? I, I would, I would really uh, love if we could make it more tangible for people to understand how the data flows in the systems and what happens when you connect this device and connect this device for people to have a better understanding of how the circuits go together so that they so that when they're confronted with things like they hear about Experian getting hacked right and they can hear that Experian got hacked and now what does Experian have Experian has all of your credit information, which is linked to your social security number, which is linked to your name and your address and everything to go and get an ID or a credit card in your name. You know, all of these things that when you hear these things in the news that take place that you really understand how, what was the motivation for the people to do this and how can this data, why was that data valuable? How can that data now be used to affect the lives of the people so people can be more aware and take better action? and not be caught off guard. Yeah, well, and speaking of that, um, I don't know if you knew this, but the Experian lawsuit finally got settled uh, earlier this year, and the bank that was the Experian bank that covered the settlement, guess which bank it was? It, it was the Silicon Valley Bank. Oh, my! <laughs> and the checks were sent out a week before the bank crashed. So we could go into conspiracies oh and anything gosh. else, but the bank that was issued for the $11.58, because I was a part of that, or whatever it was, uh, it was a Silicon Valley bank. So essentially everybody that got paid out, everybody that benefited from that hack, uh, from that lawsuit that was endured from that, uh, nobody got to cash their checks virtually because it was all tied in with the Silicon Valley bank. But wow. one, one, one thing I kind of want to get into uh, in regards to you're talking about being situationally aware, being aware with all your electronics and all the interconnectivity, it, it's it's challenging with the general public, and this is and this is the part uh, that I think is the most challenging in dealing with the general public is the mistake for convenience versus security, right? Because everything that everything that's so convenient in the world, uh, in elements of our everyday lives is the most vulnerable, right? Because it's interconnected. And, the, and for, the, for the sacrifice that people, and this, this comes down to selfishness and just people being situationally aware and willing to sacrifice convenience for the name of security. For example, if you run a nice VPN on your computer, which a VPN basically helps uh, protect you in certain elements of when you're surfing the internet, it takes longer to get to a website, and it's microseconds, right? It's nanoseconds. It takes nanoseconds longer to get to this website. Well, some people, they're like, oh, that takes too long, right? Because we've become so incumbent to convenience. We want you know, everything to happen now. If we wait in line for more than 30 seconds at a drive-through, we're just up in arms, right? So what do we do? We do, we result to contacted, contactless transactions where we've now we put the phone on our app or the app on our phone to where we don't need to pull out our wallets. We don't need to pull out our credit cards. Boom. Yeah. You have all our information. Here it is right there. Just scan it. Right. So we're just these walking, talking 
RF transmitters, some people more so than others now, uh, thanks to uh, Anthony Fauci. But what do you say for that? I mean, that because that's really what it comes down to. How do we get through to people to demonstrate the vulnerabilities that they have in their life on in the name of convenience? Yes, it's less convenient. Yes, you can have a Google Nest camera in your house, but we've seen you've seen we've seen the videos of the hacker that got into the camera who was talking to the baby in the crib, you know, through the Google Nest camera that the parents put in the thing and were using that as a baby monitor, right? I don't know if you've seen that video, but this guy's sitting there talking to people, they, and then you can see it everywhere. People hack these cameras all the time, and they talk to people. Right. So you're putting a camera in your house. There's somebody watching you. And so, but in the name of the convenience, because you're using (laughs) such a big system and it's convenient and it's, it's efficient. It works. It's consistent. Right. So all the names of these conveniences that people are using and putting around their lives, these Amazon Alexas, for example, Amazon Alexa, I think it was in Kentucky or Kansas, a judge subpoenaed an Amazon Alexis recording because it's always recording, they subpoenaed Amazon for a murder that took place inside that house. And they applied it to court because it was recording and they knew it was recording, right? So things are listening all the way around us, right? Are there tools? Are there things that people can do? And I don't know if you are familiar with smart meters. Do you know much about smart meters on the side of houses? I do. Uh, Okay, uh, so you obviously know that they're transmitting. They're, everybody's, they're migrating to the RF transmission. There's interaction and smart device uh, connectivity within your house that they're doing. Um, how do we protect ourselves, the, the layman's that don't understand all of these things? What kind of things can people do to protect themselves and further protect, protect themselves uh, so, so from these, the from these threats? Is- the best thing is to be aware, understand what's actually being done. And and then if you can opt out of things that you don't feel are of value to you. Um, I, I heard just recently a story about someone that Alexa decided to lock them out of their house because yeah. they didn't agree with something that they were doing. Yeah. Um, you know, these these sort of things just are are absolutely ridiculous for you to not be fully aware of again where is the data going is is it leaving is your data leaving your your home um i heard another story about an area that people had opted into um having their air conditioners be remotely controlled by the power companies for a reduction in their power bill and then when a heat wave came by everybody's everybody's air conditioning was they couldn't even lower their air condition to to below 80 even if it was allowed to run Uh, having full understanding of the implications for everything that you agree to every time you sign those those agreements that that you're agreeing to be involved in something and that you understand where the data is going and how it will physically affect you before you check that box and move on yeah i think that's a key right there is looking forward and you say to yourself okay how could this be used you think oh that's okay they, they have that information but wait a minute that also means they have that control and you have to ask yourself do you really want to give control of that aspect of your life over to anyone else 
And the question is not only who it's going to, but how is it going to be used? You know, I've got uh, two examples right now. As you know, within our election systems, we uh, a lot of states use this ERIC system, right? They use ERIC. Well, uh, in Oregon, we have motor voter, and uh, the ERIC system interacts with our motor voter system, and our motor voter system was just hacked. And every single driver's, every single registered uh, driver from our DMV system, all that information has now been hacked. It's it's somebody's got it all, and you know it's. There's going to be a spike in in voting next year. Basically, is what uh, Don's trying to say, is that we're going to have the most votes ever that the state has ever endured, <laughs> ten times over what the actual population is. That's that's basically what you're trying to say, right? Pretty much, yeah, yeah, pretty much, yeah. Everybody's going. That, you know, but- that won't that won't surprise me at all. And that and that's a brilliant thing that you just did, right? So you saw that the vote that the that the mo- that the the, the DMV driver's hack. license database was hacked and you understood how that data could be utilized somewhere else. What was the motivation for somebody having that so that the population can become aware and then 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 be proactive. Start thinking about, well, what can change as a result of that of that before it becomes, you know, cleanup. Absolutely. When you say, yeah, I knew it was going to happen. Well, you know, why are our brilliant minds doing something about it? Absolutely. Well, that's another question for another day. Love you. Draza Smith, thank you very much for coming on. You're listening to Noncompliant America, and have a great week.